This A's Cast download is brought to you by Link Soul. Go to linksoul.com and by Nest Bedding. Love where you sleep. Go to nestbedding.com. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. And the pitch is swung on, hit the right field, hit deep. Whitefield going back at the track over his head and over the wall. Do you believe that? And 29 other MLB clubs. Ramirez with a drive to deep right, away, back, goal! Go Hayes gets a bomb out there by the Rocks. And boy, oh boy, this third inning is now showtime. It is a judgy in blast. All rise, here comes the judge. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe, from humidors to spin rates to game-changing moments. We have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to an edition of A's Cast Live. Can you please get rid of Nolan Ryan? We don't need him right now in his choking Rangers. We have a phenomenal Monday show for you. Back from Los Angeles. Well, you're back. I stayed. You were a coward. You were afraid to go down to take on the USC Trojans to where I was not. I went straight into the belly of the beast. I even yelled at LAPD as I was entering. Yeah, I took on the Los Angeles Police Department. Hey, anything about that? Not afraid. As one LAPD guy mouthed off to our group, seven former San Jose State baseball players, (laughs) bunch of middle-aged guys who are no longer tough. <laughs> Young LAPD guy mouthing off about the Trojans beating San Jose State. And I had to let him know, Mr. LAPD, that we've come to shock the world and end your end your year, your last year in the Pac-12 before you hacks. Yeah, and I call him a hack to the LAPD. Go into the Big Ten. Have fun against Iowa. He laughed. He didn't draw his weapon. He laughed. I'm more. I'm more interested in seeing him play uh, Rutgers. To be honest, not Iowa. I don't know if that does a lot for me to watch him go to uh, Michigan State. What what city is, is Iowa even in? Like what city? in? one of them's in Ames. Ames is Iowa State. So is it? Is Iowa in Des Moines? No, that's Drake. See, like I. What station is what? 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 No, you're I. I Johnson County, but Iowa City, Iowa. What is this, Kansas? So the University of Iowa is in Iowa City? That was hard to figure out. Oh, geez. You want to go into Madison, Wisconsin? When it's snowing? I, mm. Camp Mi- Randall, as they call it. How about the Minnesota Gophers? Oh. P.J. They, Fleck, ex-Niner. They got, a, uh, they got a great stadium there, the University of Minnesota. They don't play at the Metrodome anymore. So we're back from L.A., and we got a great show for you. Coming up here at 430 from Marquee Sports, is that what the Cubs call it now? Yeah, Marquee Sports Network. Yeah, are they is, not WGN? Are they the only like? Do they have other teams? Um, because everybody else is either Bally's, Fox I was, Sports. Never actually looked. Comcast, which is now NBC. Because the what is Marquee Sports? Because I know it's Cubs, but do they have anybody else? It's the official home, TV home of the Cubs. It doesn't say anything mm. else. Because remember, the Sox are on NBC Sports. That's like Nesson or the Yes Network. Correct. Yes. All righty. 
He's a former driveline guy, Jason Brozdowski. Lance. Lance. What did I say? Yeah, Lance. He's fabulous. I've heard this guy on Sirius XM, and uh, he's kind of a pitching guru when it comes to analytics. A lot to get into because some of these analytics people, they now want to blame the pitch clock for why guys are getting hurt, but there were guys getting hurt before the pitch clock. So want to get into that. And I'm fascinated by the art that is teams taking other people's pitchers, essentially taking your property and making it better. How teams have that gift, how do they do it? It's more than just analytics. It's got to be analytics and coaching, and the players want to buy in. So I want. there's a lot that I want to get into with him. And then Ryan Divish, who has dropped some one-liners on this program. You think of him just as a beat writer for the Seattle Times. I think of him as slash comedian because he's had this audience rolling many of times before. He still and, looks like one of those Scottsdale bros that's over here down in the valley. I mean, that was one of the best. That was the best line of spring training. <laughs> I mean, he's a one-liner after one-liner. He's one of our favorites as... We'll get into how strong the Mariners are, where they have come from, and how it's going to look down the stretch. This finish is going to be fascinating. We have four teams right now vying for one spot. With four teams, only four teams, three will get in, one will be out. Remember when everybody said everybody in the AL East is going to get in? There may only be one team from the AL East who gets in. One. It's three wild cards, right? Nah, yeah. No, yeah. Of course there's three wild cards. I'm so not trying to think. Tampa and Toronto. Yeah, you're going to include Tampa, so, too. Yeah, so there'll be only two teams that will get in. But those are teams because Tampa's so far ahead, or Tampa's already ahead of everyone else. So yeah. those we're talking about the four teams that are fighting for the three. Yeah. Tampa's I, in the one spot right now. So you'll have one team win the AL East. Probably Baltimore, maybe Tampa. The other team will get in for sure. And then you got a team from the West, and then there'll be two more wild cards. Right? Yes. So so there's going to be a wild card team from the East, and there's going to be either two West, or there'll be one West, two East. That's the way to explain it. Yes. A little confusing. Sorry, AL Central, but... It's just going to be the Twins or the Guardians. But everybody had that this was going to be – somebody was going to win the East and then all three teams were going to be the East, and that is not the case as the West has come on strong. It's been very fascinating. It's been a lot of fun. And the I got the final ten games for the Mariners, the Astros, and the Rangers. It's going to be wild. But I want to start the show today on something completely different. And – we all like to play amateur GMs. We all love to do that. We all love to think we could be a GM. We all like to think we could be front office guys. But the reality is, in the media, we haven't been. We've never had that job. It's a very fascinating job. There's only 30 of them. Now there's layers of them, actually. Now you got guys that are vice presidents and presidents, and then you have GMs. Yeah, But really, there's one guy running the organization, one guy where the buck stops with that guy. There's 30 of those guys. Now, he may have people under him, but in the end, 
when you are a CEO and you've got to get in front of the stockholders, just like the vice president of baseball operations, he's got to get in front of ownership. He's got to get in front of the president of the organization, and he's got to get in front of ownership, which is like, the you know, in many ways, ownerships are groups now. You've got to get in front of the shareholders is basically what it is. I was thinking about this because we can act like we know. We can give the opinions, but the fact is we've never had to be that guy. We've never had to be the guy that has to stand up. We've never had to be the guy that makes the decisions. And the buck stops with you. And it got me thinking today, watching my guy Dan O'Dowd. If you, you, you know by watching this program, I think Dan O'Dowd is one of the best guys we have in the media now. He was a part of the Indians back in the day. He ran the Colorado Rockies. He understands building an organization. And I likened it to an ecosystem. We hear a lot about the ecosystem, especially with the ocean. Is the ecosystem healthy? Because when it's not, bad things happen. A biological community of interacting organisms and their physical environment. That's what an ecosystem is. A biological community of of interacting organisms and their physical environment. Human beings are the same thing. We're organisms, and we're in an environment. Is your ecosystem strong? And it got brought up today that the Nationals and the Padres, who made the blockbuster trade for Juan Soto, like at that time, this was, wow, you're getting Juan Soto, He's the best player in baseball, they tried to say. A generational player. It was only 23 at the time, right, when they traded for him? You're going to get him for at least two and a half playoff runs. You're going to get him for last year and this year and next year. This was a bargain. And right now, the Nationals and the Padres both have the same record. at 61 and 70. And it gets you thinking whether this is fair or not. Juan Soto making $23 million this year is a four-war. Now, you had all these guys in the trade. Really, your favorite player was in this trade. Luke Voigt. Luke Voigt. I, I had... Sounds like an Oakland AR. Cut the sleeves off. You're damn right. I He'd love be Luke a great A. He would. Uh, Where would we play him? You know what? I don't care. Let's put him in the lineup. I love him. He'll hit jacks. Man. He'd be a great. You want a beer league softball guy? Luke Voigt's your guy. He's John Jaha, as Roy Steele used to say. John Jaha. He's John Jaha reincarnated. It's a good pull. I could see it. Wouldn't that be great? I'd love to have Luke. You love. You love. I do. He's been, you've been a very big Luke Voigt fan for years. He was on like nine teams this year. Um, most recently, the, the I think he was with the Mets AAA team hitting jacks. And he had a bunch in, was that, AAA Syracuse. I'd love if Voigt was on the ace. I, I You know what? By the way, you want another A? How about a guy that uh, used to have the most beautiful? He doesn't have the same locks, does he? Syndergaard? I don't. Oh, did he? Come but to... he had the beautiful locks. Yeah, he... I mean, him and Degrom, the hair was just flowing. Thor. I mean, he looked like Thor. Sounds like an Oakland ARA. Who need? If there was a team that needs innings right now, who is that? Uh. In the American League, it's the A's. We need somebody to pitch innings, right? The Giants need innings. I was going to watch why I, mean, I said American League. There's plenty <laughs> of teams. Okay, can I get a body that can give me some innings? How about Syndergaard with the A's? 
Pick him up. Let's go. He was actually better with the Guardians than he was the Dodgers. Let's go. But he got DFA'd after yesterday. How great would he look in the white uni? The white cleats. White cleats. I would Six, what is he, 6'5"? Yeah, he's big. Uh, he would look great, but I just don't. I mean, he's 30. It fits the M.O. I mean, a lot of our guys we claim off waivers are over 30. All right. You want Zach Neal or you want Noah Syndergaard? You got the cachet of Syndergaard, but. Give me some Noah Syndergaard. Sounds like an Oakland A already. But getting back to the ecosystem. Right now, Juan Soto has a war of four. Remember, war is just a, a, it's a nice guide. It's not the end-all, be-all. But C.J. Abrams, who is a shortstop, kind of light stick, really good defensively. His defensive metrics are good. Steals bases. Steals bags, runs. I mean, if you take him and McKenzie Gore, left-handed pitcher, if you take the two of them, combine this year for the Nats, their war is higher and you got to count all the what was the guy Susana Susana Susana, Susana, Susana yeah so he's one of the guys that could be good out of that trade but I'm just looking at Abrams and Gore Woods the guy to watch their war is 4.6 it's high it's a two for one right now and they're paying 1.45 million for their 4.6 war the Nats while the Padres are paying 23 million for a four war and Juan Soto and they have the same record at 61 and 70. And Dan O'Dowd mentioned something. It made me think of the A's. It made me think of the Yankees. And in layman's terms, when your front office plays like fantasy baseball, where you're just thinking about how do I get names? How do I get names onto my team? Because that's how I'm going to win. And it's really how... A.J. Preller of the Padres has not thought about at all how the pieces of the pie fit, how the pieces of the puzzle, I should say, fit. Just give me names. Give me that guy. I want Hater. I want Soda. I want – and the way Dan O'Dowd explained it, I'm going to do it a different way. I'm going to go to the ecosystem. So you have this organization. It's an ecosystem, Right. And is everything healthy? Well, the way Dan was explaining it and the way he was doing it was that when you go about trying to build a team like this, because they learned to do it really the right way in Cleveland, where they mixed young core with guys in their prime and veteran players. A lot of people forget the Eddie Murrays of the world on those great Indian teams, right? They had all kinds of veteran guys. They had great players in their prime, like a Roberto Alomar, but then you'd have a guy like Eddie Murray, right? And then you have young guys like Manny Ramirez and Jim Tomei and those guys. Carlos Baerga, Charles Nagy, and all. So they mixed young, prime, and older veteran guys. God, they had Oral Hershiser at one point, Dennis Martinez. They had all kinds of veteran dudes. but And they constantly had a minor league system with Cleveland that had Brian Giles, Sean Casey, Richie Sexton. They had all these young guys. So you had an ecosystem that was strong, right? You had the major league system strong, minor league system strong. And it brings me to something that popped up the other day. The last 1,000 games, Codify put it on. 1,000 games. This is a few days ago. 
The last 1,000 games, who do you think has the best record? Dodgers. Who do you think second? Astros. Dodgers and Astros. 1,000 games, man. That's that's many seasons, right? That's a long time. It's close to, what, eight or nine probably? So that is the Dodgers ecosystem is always strong. They've got the big club that's strong. they got the minor leagues that's strong. The minor leaguers feed up to the big leaguers, and that's what Dan, Dan was basically saying. When you cut off your minor league system, and I remember when I first heard about this in like the probably would have been, when did Strawberry sign? It's Fred Clare. Some of you, Fred Clare, you probably have no idea who Fred Clare is. Fred Clare was the president of the Dodgers years ago. Uh, when they signed Daryl Strawberry and the Dodgers were using their financial might, Fred Clare famously said, you know, you really don't need a minor league system. You can just go buy players. 91 was his first year at the Dodgers. So it was around that, that night. I remember I was in college. But Fred Clare was a famer, famous Dodger executive, and he was wrong. And what Dan was saying is when you don't allow for the ecosystem to constantly evolve, it's not good. You can add free agents, of course. But when you don't allow it, it's not healthy for the organization long term. And when he said that, it made me think of this last last thousand games where the Dodgers and the Astros have won the most games. And it makes me think back because right now there is a generation of people who their entire life all they've seen is the Yankees win. They forget about when I was a kid growing up and the Yankees sucked. And the Yankees never went to the playoffs, and their ecosystem was not healthy. It was so dysfunctional. And George Steinbrenner just wanted to buy players, and it was a mess. And what saved the Yankees in a lot of ways was Steinbrenner and his dealings with that criminal and trying to find the dirt on Dave Winfield. And they took Steinbrenner out of the organization, and Gene Michael took over, and they started focusing again on their minor league system, which later would bring what? A strong ecosystem where you would have this group of players coming up, a Derek Jeter, Mariano Rivera, Andy Pettit, Jorge Posada, a bunch of guys. Then you'd mix it in with guys that you would buy and you would trade for. It became a healthy thing that led them to where they've been all these years. Padres don't have that. And it's one of the reasons why they are where they are, because inside that room, it does not work. Their ecosystem does not work. And it just goes to show, like with the A's, think what we've done. Hodgepodge of fighting all these different guys, doing that in 12, 13, 14. Yeah, it works, but there's not a healthy, constant environment, right? That's what we have lacked. And when you go into a rebuild like what we're doing right now, that's purely not healthy because the big club's not healthy. Not everything's healthy in the ecosystem. You're hoping what you're doing will eventually lead to that. But right now, we're not there. And for years, we have not seen a large number of our minor league players get to the big club, have a chance. And I was thinking about 2021 – when hindsight's 2020 and I agreed with it I'm not going to I'm not going to say what they did was wrong but the boat was taken on water in 2021 big time and the thought was to save it you got to go get something to energize the team and Marte and Gomes and Jay Hay and bringing those guys in 
and it wouldn't be enough, and the team would only win 86 games. But to play the armchair quarterback, what would have happened if you keep Jesus Lazardo? Now he's been a 500 pitcher with around a four ERA. It's gone up and down and up and down. He's hovered around four. He can be up, he can be down, depending on a couple starts. But if you had him now, you probably would move him anyway, but now you'd be moving for something that could help you long-term to feed the ecosystem. You got rid of him, and it was for a quick punch that didn't work. Marte was fabulous, by the way. He was fat. There's no question. Loved, loved every, loved every, he, he will go down as one of my favorite A's to watch, even though he was barely here, right? He reminds you of Riggy Anderson. He was like the, he was like, wow, this is what it was like. And I remember doing post-game shows saying, Marte was, this kids, this is what it was like to watch Ricky Anderson play. Every single time he gets on, he was stealing bases, hit for power, doubles, made great plays in the outfield. Marte played like a beast when he was playing for a contract and he was trying to help the A's get into the postseason. But that's the thing that teams need to get to is even though the Dodgers have only won one World Series and it was in the COVID year, they've played in others, but they have a very strong organization top to bottom to where they have been able to spend a little less, let younger players come up and try and help. That's what the farm system's there for. That's a healthy organization right there. That's what we need to strive to be, and that's what the Padres aren't, and that's why they're 61-70, and 70, the same record as the Nationals, the team they traded Juan Soto for. They're supposed to be the big winners in this, and right now if you're sitting there looking going, wow, I, I mean, I, I don't know how many people would even know, would even think about that, but yeah, the Padres and the Nationals have the exact same record on this date, August 28th. That's pathetic. All right? I mean, that is that is that is big time pathetic. And it just got me thinking of where you want to be as an organization. You want to be able to have the health of the big league club. You want to be able to be able to go out and purchase players in free agency who you think can help. You want to be able to have a minor league system that can feed the big club. You want your minor leaguers to think and you want the minor league coaches to think that the what you're doing, the work down there, can develop into big leaguers? Now, I think there's been times where we, we have just – we've gotten nothing from our minor league system. And the, the strength of the A's has always been looking at other people's systems and grabbing people from other people's systems. Well, that can be a nice story. But, you know, you've got to start producing your own players. And that's why it's been fun to watch Geloff and Butler and watch. We're starting to do that. And hopefully more of it's coming, and that's what needs to happen. But you've got to have a strong ecosystem. And so, you know, I was thinking about the Dodgers. And I, I, and I remember I asked you this. Like, if you said, like, who is the model organization? It's tough because the Dodgers do have so much money. And being in Southern California, man, Saturday, wow, everywhere is Dodger merch. Dodgers are so strong. Um, television contract. They, I mean, since they moved west, no one has had higher attendance since they moved west than the Los Angeles. Since 1958, no one's had more butts in the seats at Dodger Stadium than any other franchise. They are. They're, they're, it's a tough model because you can't. 
really compare many towns to it because not that many towns have that many human beings around them. You know, New York and L.A. have a huge – Chicago have a huge advantage – the amount of human beings, the possibility of where your stadium is, how many humans live around you that can go to games. I mean, how would you compare Oakland to Los Angeles? Los Angeles has over 8 million people. in it. That's just Los Angeles, not counting the county and, and counties around them. I mean, that's just the city, right? I think there are 8 million people. That's, yeah, that's there's pretty. under 500,000 people in Oakland. Yeah, there's no way to compare Alameda County is only like 1.6. LA's got 8 million people in the city. You're right about the Dodgers, and uh, there is Dodgers news. I'll give it to you. Um, <clears throat> um, Tony, if you heard this one before. From Bill Shaken, Dodgers say Tony, Tony Gonsolin will have Tommy John surgery on Friday. So another pitcher out with Tommy John. Uh, maybe they'll bring Syndergaard back. Maybe they'll claim him on waivers and bring him back. Um, if you want to look at a team to not to follow that doesn't spend a lot of money it's on free agents, it's Houston. They don't bring in – their biggest free agent they brought in is what? Abreu? Michael Brantley? They still build. They still spend money. But it's all. But they bring, it's keeping their own guys though. But they're spending money. They're not cheap. They spend money. And right now, their ecosystem. We're going to see how it's going to be, because when you go through all this winning that they've done, kind of you know. But we'll see how they're they're able to get because they they had. You know, their tear teardown turned into a very healthy ecosystem because of all the different players they were able to produce when it comes to what they did internationally. They hit on a lot of international guys, and then they hit on draft picks, and then they they didn't hit on all draft picks. Remember, only two of the four of the tanking number one picks worked. Correa and Bregman. Bregman. Yeah, Aiken and uh, Pell did not work out. So a lot of people try and say, oh, they tanked and got all those picks. You're like, well, two of the four hit. The other two didn't hit. So – you know, trading for trading Josh Fields for Jordan Alvarez when the Dodgers thought they were giving up the other Jordan Alvarez they had. I mean, that's just locking into one of the you know best left hitting left handed hitters in baseball right now. Everybody could have had that little tiny kid out of Cuba. He's pretty good. Everybody, there was thirty teams. They took a chance. Do you think when and I saw the documentary? I don't know. There's a legendary scout who scouted Cuba who said you have. To sign this guy. But wait a minute. He's five. What is he? Five, seven? Uh, I, I was, I, when you said he's from Venezuela. Venezuela. Yeah, I, yeah, I, Altuve's five, six. Five, six. Everybody could have had this guy. He Everybody. Did. Altuve's been in the league now 12 years. He, his debut was in 2011. They, it was MLB. It was 13 it, years. Was it MLB Network who did that uh, biography or whatever they did on him? They did that whole documentary about how he's signing and everything. That's how I found he found out who this guy was. This guy was a legendary scout, international oh, scout. I'm not sure. And he was like, trust me, you got to sign this kid. Because there's no way you're getting reports back. I had him at 5'7". The only reason – I've, wa- I've walked the stairs of the Coliseum with, with Jose Altuve shooting the bull with him down the thing. And I, I tower him. I dunk on him. <laughs> if we were in hoops, you're going to get me down the ball – I you know you're gonna post mouse in the post. house you get yeah you're gonna get the ball down to me I'm going Kevin McHale right over him uh, <laughs> if you got a report that said I got a five six kid are you taking him a lot of, a lot of teams probably wouldn't but the Astros did and they gave him a shot yeah I mean and, and we all could have had him so the Astros 
Yeah, they've spent money, but they spend money wisely. And they basically have told everybody when they have a free agent, they go, this is what we think you're worth. And if you're not willing to take that, they will move on. And they've been good. I mean, other guys too, like Arkady, um, Framber Valdez. Christian Javier. Javier. I mean, it's just down there's the, a lot of guys they've hit on. <laughs> and we've <laughs> unfortunately had to see all of them. Yeah. Is Lance ready? Uh, yeah. We'll get him on now. Lance, welcome to A's Cast Live. How are you doing? I'm great. How about you guys? Uh, well, I got to tell you, I have taken, I've adopted the Chicago Cubs. What we do every year is we'll take a team in the National League. Last year, my partner was going with the Phillies. This year, I'm like, I love how the Cubs said, you know what? Because the Cubs were here. Nico Horner, you know, is an Oakland guy. So we're like, yep. I love how the Cubs said, you know what? We're going to stick with it. Why not? Let's let it roll. And knowing the the way the parties are at Wrigley, I'm never against like, hey, we don't think it's going to happen. Let's trade some guys away. But I like how the Cubs said, you know what, we're in for the fight, and they're being rewarded. What's it like right now? Uh, it's, it, the vibes are immaculate. Yeah, this series in particular, I was actually just in the Cubs clubhouse, and there's a lot of local media in knowing it's a huge series against the Brewers, obviously. Yeah. So. The vibes have been fantastic. I mean, there's a ton of energy in the stadium. There always is. Even last year when this team wasn't playing well down the stretch, they were, they were still almost selling out the ballpark, which is just standard Wrigley Field practice. But it's been great. Like you got The team is clicking, I think, on a variety of cylinders. You know, They're not slugging a ton, but their offense is still pretty strong. You have rates above average versus lefties and righties, right-handed pitching, left-handed pitching. You know, they're hitting. They have some breakout guys. They've done a pretty good job of, like, eking out some fifth, sixth starters and Javier Assad, and uh, now Jordan Wicks, who pops up and pitches pretty well when they need an extra arm in there. So it's, it's been a great mix. All right, Stroman. Everybody was talking, you got to go get Stroman. You got to go get Stroman. Then obviously he's hurt. Where, where are we with Marcus Stroman? Yeah, it's a great question. I think uh, there's been no update from what I understand. I believe he's getting checked out today or tomorrow per the Cubs PR staff. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of up in the air. I think, you know, I he was off for a little before – yeah, uh, going down with the hip injury, I believe. Um, and I remember at the deadline, I was saying like getting him back to his April May version of himself would be better than pretty much any viable acquisition on the market because he was pitching incredibly well for the beginning of the season. And having that at the front line of rotation that's down the stretch, you're going to play games against very meaningful teams. And D-backs, you have six games coming up. Another set against the Brewers after this one. You play the Pirates again. You play the Reds a couple times. Like, these are really, really huge games to have him fronting a rotation. And then having a guy like Steele drop back into two as opposed to being ace, I thought was was going to be huge. I'm honestly not sure. I don't I don't have an angle on anything regarding him. Um you know, he's been really fun to watch here. I, I'm just kind of waiting for him to come back. I think everyone's waiting for him to come back. You get him back for September in the stretch run, like Cubs in a five- or seven-game set feel a lot more devastating with Strom and Steele up front than Steele and whoever else you want to piece together in the two. Um, so that's just my that's kind of my take on him. I, I don't know. I think we'll probably get an update sometime soon, though, in terms of how he's projecting. He uh, heals quick, so. Well, I, one of the fascinating stories is you got a young guy – who his father played in the big leagues. He shows up to one of the marquee franchises. He's such a tremendous player and athlete. He can yeah. play center. He can play first. He wins an MVP. Mookie Betts comes over to the Dodgers, signs for 360 or whatever it was, and you're thinking, Cody Bellinger's easily going to get 300. This guy's a future star. And then guess what? Life happens. Oh, yeah. life happens. Stuff happens, right? And all of a sudden, he's hurt. 
The swing's not the same. All of a sudden, he's just he's terrible. L.A. doesn't want him to leave. And then when the Cubs were in Oakland earlier, that's right before his um, his significant other was about to have their second child. So when he was playing against us, like right after that, I believe she had the baby. And we were like, man, what, what just a, a rebirth of a career, his life, having his second child. It's all good again. He feels healthy. Just talk about what this year has been like for Cody Bellinger, still a very young man. It's been a huge resurgence, yeah. I mean, he's heading into the offseason now. He set himself up for a really nice pit. He's only 28 years old. I think next year will be his age 29 season, if I'm correct. Yeah. The biggest thing is cutting the strikeouts. Like, the crazy thing, I, I know everyone looks at those stat cast boards, right, where you just see red and blue, and it's like, red is good, blue is bad. And I think a lot of people have been skeptical of what Cody Bellinger is doing currently with, like, a 300-plus average and 20 bombs because most of the batted ball quality stuff on the StatCast page is blue. But I do think that this doesn't really capture the entire story. And me being a data nerd myself, I think when he was rolling to start the year, for the most part, um, prior to going down with a slight injury, that kind of held him up. And that's kind of the one kind of uh, bottoming, I don't want to say bottoming out, but like a dip in his performance came right around when he, I think it was in Houston, he made a play in right center, really nice play, and came down on his knee weird, was on the IL shortly then kind of ascended from after that. So you remove that and the two kind of chunks of the season that he's been good for. He's controlled the zone with two strikes really well. I think that is something that I believe sharp organizations are starting to model in to how they view a swing versus B swing, how they view a guy approaching account one, one versus approaching account two, two, you know, for example, um, Bellinger in two strike counts has cut basically swing and miss rate in half. I think that has been a really conscious adjustment for him. Yeah. It's really similar to what Ronald Acuna has done in the Braves year over year. If you look at any of his two strike statistics from 22 to 23, there's a clear, deliberate, you know, I am going to stop doing this with two strikes. I'm going to stop chasing. I don't know what it is. That's always one of the parts of hitting that I always find fascinating is that you can, you can pretty easily kind of, structure a good hitter right don't swing at balls you can't do damage on you know but actually then executing that is a completely different story and bellinger has found a really nice balance here where he doesn't have to barrel the ball 15 20 percent of the time like he did when he had 47 homers in 2019 he's found a balance where it's more a matter of putting the ball in play with two strikes and it's working you know whether it's sustainable is fascinating to me that's another question i think that front offices are going to answer for us i don't think we really need to answer it as analysts right they're going to be able to put down the money as to how they value Cody Bellinger going forward. Do they believe the two-strike approach is sustainable year over year? Do they think it's more fluky and that there'll be an adjustment back? You know, I think he's going to get paid. I'm very curious to see how much and kind of where the offers are coming from. I imagine the Cubs will be in the race there. You know, even with Pete Armstrong knocking on the door, the versatility of Bellinger to play first base, you know, supplement PCA and center, move to a corner occasionally if you want. Like, his versatility helps a lot, but he's had a crazy good year, and I did not see this coming at all. No, and I hope he re-signs there. It could be a great story. They got the money. We'll see how that's going to work. Speaking of the two strikes thing, I saw this crazy stat the other day. Willie Mays, obviously one of the greats of all time. Willie Mays, 301 career average. So, Tony Gwynn's career average with two strikes is higher than Willie Mays' overall average. I mean, it's like, it was crazy. Uh, I love when you analytics guys kind of, throwing the joke, the nerd thing, because we have Eno Saris. <laughs> you know Eno. I love Eno. Eno's on our show every single week. He's a Bay Area guy, so we have a weekly yep. segment with him. And he was just talking about going to the analytics conference. He goes, the winter meetings. I was at it. The winter meetings for nerds. I yep. was like, that was one of the funniest things. I, wanna, I saw you know there. It was great. I want to get into your – your because you, you cover pitching as good as anybody. Um, 
another got Gonsolin now going to have Tommy John. I mean, everybody's having Tommy. I pitched in college. <laughs> I pitched in college in the 90s, played with some big leaguers, played with a bunch of different guys that got drafted. Man, we didn't do Tommy John surgery 30 years ago. It's like you were scared to death. And, and what is it? Can there anything that we can do? I know some people are starting to try to bring in the pitch clock, and I go, all right, but we had a ton of Tommy John's well before pitch yep. clock. Surgery is not a good thing. Surgery for human beings, one, now we're talking two, three Tommy John's. This is not healthy mentally. We know not physically. It's not healthy mentally. What's going on? Yeah, I wish I, wish I had a better answer here. I think it's a byproduct probably of velocity to some extent. But I think we say that I, I don't want to say we. I think the public you'll see on Twitter and other places generally say like, stop chasing velocity; it just causes injuries. But the problem I don't think is in chasing velocity. I think it's more so in front office valuation of velocity being very important, and us kind of having a very blueprinted plan of how to develop velocity. You know, in valuing velocity, and understanding that velocity on a pitch as you increase it is going to increase, increase the quality of that individual offering more times than not. And if you're trying to make it in the big leagues, you know, and a team is saying you need to get up to 94, 96, because we think everything will play better, you know, your career and life depends on that velocity number for the most part, you know, and I, I think that has a large implication. I don't necessarily think we're going to have a reversion back to command guys. You know, I think that's more survivorship bias of guys who exist for a very long time. And then the velocity deteriorates are probably still only in the league because they're able to command the ball well. Commanding young pitchers is something that I, I think is a very ambiguous topic to train. It's it's not something in talking to pitching coaches that there's a blueprint for. I know a lot of teams have expected command models and driveline baseball just released command baseballs that are small variants of weight to help you kind of understand and coerce your natural mist into more optimal locations is probably the simplest for way. For release put it. point? Release point, but more so, more so like taking a standard weighted baseball and then dropping it five percent, dropping a ten percent weight, and then you know increasing it ten percent, increasing it five percent weight, but leaving it in the shape of a baseball to allow you to understand. Okay, your natural miss is here, and now when you're using a lighter ball, it's actually another five inches in this direction. So you have to overcorrect in the opposite. Kind of like a wiffle ball. <laughs> it basically is in that to some extent. I've never actually thrown one. I don't exactly know, yeah. and I'm, I'm planning on talking to more people about it, but. There's clearly some interest in trying to develop command. But I do think at the end of the day, I mean, Kyle Wasserberger from Driveline had a really good thread on this that I think I retweeted. It's probably on my Twitter somewhere. But he talked about, like, the curve of, like, as velocity increases, you know, the torque on an arm is going to increase. But it's a matter of, like, you know, relative to the average, where are you, you know? Like, you could be a guy who increases the torque but has increased his velocity such that you're now actually creating less torque than the average guy who's throwing 94, 95. There's a lot more nuance, I think, to velocity development and how it affects pitchers than we're discussing publicly. And that's because it's very, very complex information and something that I haven't totally distilled down. I think the pitch clock is an interesting angle just from the very simple concept of, you know, if you're, you know, anybody works out, right? Like you're squatting, you're doing five by fives at a certain weight, you know, you're resting two minutes before or two minutes between sets, cut that rest to 130. And then you might be wondering why you're failing, say, your last couple reps in that fifth set. It's because you're tired. You're creating more fatigue on your body. So to me, isolating and cutting down the time between pitches for some pitchers is, is going to have some effect, especially initially. And now maybe chronically as we get into the late stage of the season is accumulated fatigue. I don't necessarily know whether that's true. I imagine front offices are thinking about this stuff. I've not heard a lot about it publicly, you know. But again, I don't think that's the main driver, right? 
I think at the end of the day, it's probably velocity to some extent, but that comes with risk. You have to assume risk if you want to be able to throw 96 miles per hour. You know, yes. I don't think a kid in, in college is like, oh, I'm going to get to the big, big leagues at 88. It's like, good luck. Like, you better have 80 command. Like, you better have the best command in college baseball, and then you're probably not even going to go in the first couple rounds, you know? So a lot of nuance to it. I come down on velocity, but I do think there's a lot more nuance to it. I like to play a doctor here on the show, so I'm going to do it with you. Um, sure. No matter what baseball people think no matter who it is a pitching coach analytics whatever the only thing that matters is this thing right here this ligament and people know it inside your funny bone and when you bump it it really hurts your ucl this what can it withstand that is the question and that is the thing we've talked to billy bean about it and he he's like you'd be a billionaire if you could figure it out like how do you stop it how do you train what do you do that's the thing it's like whether there's torque not to just pushing the body and in any sport, right? We see it with golfers all the time with their backs. We see it with certain, sure. whenever you try and truly increase how hard you can take your body, the body ends up breaking down. So the question then becomes too, and I see it as an epidemic here is we say it all the time, 4,374. That's the amount of outs you got to get in a baseball season, not counting extra mm. innings. We don't have enough guys to get these outs. We got guys throwing harder, but we got no innings. How we get like we're like talking before you came on. Hell, sign Syndergaard. We need somebody to get us innings. Mm. So part of the problem is we may have guys who throw harder. We just don't have enough guys to get us enough outs. Yeah, no, that's a great point. I mean, I, especially with the athletics, I haven't followed you guys' season too closely. You haven't missed I, anything. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> Mason Miller. Mason Miller is fun, but even he went yeah. down the slide injury, yeah. obviously. But really like Mason Miller. But, no, nah, you, you're correct. I mean, that is the calculus for some of the more sharper teams in baseball is looking at that innings total, you know, and, and understanding kind of, you know, how do we get to these innings? Do we want it to be based off the back of four starting pitchers who goes four to six, or excuse me, six to seven innings? Do we want to be the Rays and basically have no one go through five or six? Even the Rays run into injuries, but I think that's more of a tolerance to sign guys who have injury histories. Yeah. You know, there's that old adage that, like, the only way to predict injuries is to look at past injuries. Potentially some merit in there. You know, I'm not entirely sure. I don't really have data to back that up, but I could see that. I mean, the Rays have tolerance for that. Guys like Drew Asmus and Jeffrey Springs. McClanahan, I don't think, had an injury history, but they're okay with it. You know, <laughs> like, if we could get these guys for cheaper and make them into better pitchers and only need them to throw four or five innings – and have the development track to pull up guys from AA and AAA under cost control who could get outs at the major league level because we value stuff so highly in a central setup for our catchers. Like, yeah, they, they chop that they chop that uh, pie, the innings pie up into smaller and smaller pieces. And I don't think we're going to see too much of a stray from that. But every postseason recently, you know, you get into it and you realize how important like a deep starting pitcher is, you know. Like the ability to have a guy go six or seven is, is huge. Like those are intimidating options. And even if the leashes are shorter, a team like the Phillies with guys like Zach Wheeler and Aaron Nola, et cetera, like that's an intimidating team, which that goes back to our point about Stromer for the Cubs. He's a very important piece of this team. You know, I think as you start to make some multiple relievers into leverage spots in a postseason situation, in some, you look at the whole picture of it and you're like, okay, on average, we expect this to come out good, but you know, any one of those individual guys could have a blow at that inning, and then that's the game. You know, you saw the Rays do this a ton in the past where they're gamifying the system. They're like, okay, we're going to have a pitcher throw four, and then we'll cover the other five innings with individual outings. And it's like they're betting that, you know, those guys will average out to being a good starting pitcher. Sometimes it just doesn't happen. You know, it's, it's a, again, it's a calculated risk just like trying to throw hard and value and velocity. All right, the number one – we'll end on this because it's the number one thing I wanted to ask you. I wanted you to go into your database – 
And because this is the most fat, this is one of the most fascinating things about me, uh, for me about pitching. Certain organizations are really good mm. at looking at other guys and other teams and going, you know what? If we got that guy, all we got to do is tweak this, tweak that, do this, and he'll be a way better pitcher. So they can take what you got and bring him over and make him better. Now, a lot has to go into coaching, analytics. The, the players got to have the buy-in. What is it about certain teams? And I don't know if you know, but what is it that they do or how they understand that they can look at somebody else on another team and go, if we get him, we can make him better? Yeah, couple things there. Um, I'll say that most of the time, I think those organizations are really well integrated between acquisition, development, and major league coaching, such that they're acquiring guys with already a plan of knowing what to do as opposed to acquiring the guy and then figuring out the plan afterwards. I think the Dodgers are obviously one of the best teams in baseball at this. You see this with Lynn. Um, And Lynn is a funny one, too, because there isn't anything drastically different there on the shapes or velocity or I don't even think mechanic side of things. Maybe they're playing around with something mechanically. But they optimized usage for him. He faced you guys in his first start. He threw 85% four-seamers to lefties. I wrote about this. It's baffling. Like, the pitch was getting slaughtered. They took the target, moved it up away. They knew, I think, most of the lefties on the A's had trouble with fastballs, and they ripped the pitch 85% of the time. They almost like game theory. They were just like, yeah, okay, you're not expecting us to do this 85% of the time. We're going to do it 85% of the time. It's going to work. And he dominated. So I I do think those teams are just sharper. And I do think, going back to your point about buy-in, you know, I had an analogy given by an individual I was talking to this offseason who basically said, you know, we have the Space Jam water bottle. You know, <laughs> guys come to our organization and know they're going to get better. Yeah. They drink it. Like, it, that is huge. Like, I think that's a massive piece of this puzzle is just understanding that that element, that ability to go to another org. This org has approved these other guys. I'm going to listen to what those guys have to say about me. I'm actually going to start using this pitch differently. And it's just, a, it's a matter too, like, I always think it's funny or to in internally in orders. I was talking to some pitching coaches, assistant pitching coaches about this, you know, it's all the time you'll hear assistant pitching coaches trying to push the major league pitching coach to make an adjustment to a pitcher on a team. We want this guy throwing more. I want him throwing more. We want to adjust this pitch. And you often hear pushback like, Hey, we don't want to do that in season. He's still got to get outs. But when the pitcher is really bad or moves to organizations, then you see that stuff change immediately. And I think that maybe over time, other organizations are going to realize that have more tolerance to adjust guys in season when you know an individual pitcher isn't particularly great but he's not bad it's it seems like we always get the only get these drastic changes and like mix an approach when the guy moves orgs or is terrible you know this is like you get Corbin burns lucas giolito like a lot of these guys were really bad at one point make a drastic adjustment now they're really good giolito hasn't been that great but that i think is a huge part of it i i do think it's at the end of the day it's buying it's coaching but i i really think it is just integration of departments you know they knew what they were doing with Lynn when they got him. I imagine it's just the seamless flow of acquisition to then being on the major league staff and understanding what they're doing. Some works do well, others don't. And I always think about the other organization going, damn, why didn't we do that? <laughs> yeah, the, you know, the, the funny thing, I, I hear that all the time. I was talking to an, another individual, who, their organization traded with a pitcher who got really good in another org. And I was like, yeah, that's, I like kind of joked about it. I was like, yeah, you guys must be, you must be mad about that. And he's like, the thing that the public never understands is that any pitcher going to another org, oftentimes in that old org, there was probably someone with the idea that that new team executed. There's a lot of smart people in front offices, right? Yeah. Someone had that idea. I think almost 95% of the time, I'll say it, the org, the original org had the idea to do what the other org, new org, did with the pitcher, just wasn't executed. It either wasn't bought into by the pitching coach 
or the front office said, no, there's too much heavily invested in this player. That I think is like the, the thing that's swept under the rug all the time is like you trash the organization for not actually making that individual change, which seemed really obvious. But I bet most of the time in that organization, someone had that idea. It just wasn't risen to the top and it wasn't, it wasn't bought into. Like the, the front office didn't buy into it or politics prevented the decision from being made. That's fascinating. I, I know you got to go one more one quickly. Yeah. I'm here. Um, for people who want to get into this and like the, sure. the one place that we baseball savant, we can get what are the top three numbers or what do you look at when you say I'm judging a pitcher? What are the three things you could give our audience they could look at? The simplest one that has a really strong correlation to success is just Kate strikeouts minus walks. There's two things that the pitcher can control really, really well. It doesn't get into a batted ball luck or quality or anything along those lines. It looks like control. It looks at how much you can generate swing and miss. It's a really simple one. You sort that any year based on, you know, just the league qualified pitchers are going to run into a, a pretty good sort of the best pitchers in baseball. Um, apart from that, I think stuff plus is fun. It's a new one that's kind of come out. I know, you know, Sarah's is proprietor of it. You guys have yeah. all the time. I absolutely love that dude great podcast for him he's on a great podcast to race and barrels and stuff and that's available publicly on on uh fan graphs i will say that's a little deeper you know it's 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 judging pitch movement velocity release and some other characteristics trying to blend it into an individual number the fascinating thing for that is when you have a pitcher overperforming or underperforming it that's you know that's the step beyond the k minus walk i'm saying k minus walk i think is a very simple way to just jump into analytics look at how good a pitcher is and even try to project forward a little like if a guy's terrible but has a really strong k minus walk i think there's a good chance he'll get better over time stuff plus is more the really nuanced fun stuff that i look at all the time just like trying to theorize on why this guy's pitching well is there something that stuff plus is missing is it you know what is it not capturing that this guy has or what it is it capturing but this guy's underperforming is that sequencing is that location is that something else going on is he tipping so I, i'd say those two things are really strong um i'm not sure if i have a third i'll, I'll keep it to two well i'll tell you this you're fantastic i think as our game grows and I've said this to Eno, like, as our game grows, everything that you guys are doing, helping a media standpoint, is just going to continue to grow and get better. So you're right on the right track. And, you know, we all got a little baseball nerd in us. Uh, I think so. I think that's totally true. I have a sub stack in the YouTube, too, if anyone's interested in checking out my stuff. G- give all your uh, stuff. Promote, promote everything you got. Yeah, everything is going to be based around Lance, B-R-O-Z, first four letters of my last name. Whatever platform you're on, I'm on it, and I'm probably doing something. Great stuff. We appreciate it. Let's do this again soon. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. Take care. Be well. Cubs are fun. I, you know, I mean, there, there's something about the team that there wasn't expectations, and all of a sudden the city gets excited and everybody's fired up versus the team that has it. It's just it's the way we – as human beings work. Something that's new is awesome. It's like incredible. It's the We Believe Warriors. It's the 2012 A's. It's like, it's like, oh my God, this team wasn't supposed to be good, and now they're good, and it galvanizes the whole city, and everybody's fired up, right? That's fun. And then years later, when you've won, you just have the expectations, and if you don't win, you're miserable. Now it's like, it's a championship or bus season. Those aren't fun. Yeah, they're fun to win a champion, but when you're championship or, or bust, you don't have the same emotion. The emotion of something that's new and you watch it be built and you you know, you know get to learn the players, and that's kind of what's going on in some cities right now, especially in Chicago. And that is a sports city. They're a sports-crazed city. And Cubs are fun. 
White Sox are a disaster. I mean, my God, people are getting shot at the ballpark. They're the opposite of fun. Shot at the ballpark. I don't know how that happens, but. I. And, you know, I worked that game. That was the Friday game before I left. I'm like, we didn't know. I'm doing a post-game show. I'm talking to Ken Korak. No, no. And all of a sudden, the people are booing. I could hear people booing in the background. And then Ken was like, oh, the concert's been canceled because they tried to say there was people they didn't want to tell you. Hey, someone's been shot here at the game. They didn't even cancel the game. Technical difficulties, right, is what they said for the – Unbelievable. I believe it was Vanilla Ice who was performing post-game. Tone Loke, too, and there was – who else was it? It It's another famous from the 90s. I just remember someone tweeted it out that Alex said, hey, Ken, Vanilla Ice and Tone Loke, huh? And Ken just said, okay, because he had – clearly Ken had no idea who Vanilla Ice was. How do you not know who Vanilla Ice is? (laughs) All right. So it's all over now. Two – Two women. It was two women shot. Who was the kid? There was a third third big-time old-school 90s guy that I was a fan of. I, obviously, the, 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 the biggest part is that people were shot, not who was the concert for. Who was it? it was Rob Bass. Rob Bass. I love, I love the 90s. I'm in. <coughs> I am in on that concert. <laughs> Kidding me? Tone Loke? That was that was like when Vanilla Ice was big. Dun, was dun, like, dun, 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 dun. Everybody, I don't care who you are. I know what Ice Ice Don't act is. like it was just white guys doing it. Everybody, I lived it. Everybody was loving them some Vanilla Ice at the club. Don't, and bars. Don't kid yourself. I lived it in the Bay Area. I was like. That's my era. I was like. Three when that song came and out. I partied in San Francisco. I partied in San Jose. I partied in L.A. I partied in San Diego. I partied all over the California, oh, the, the great state of California. I was up. I had buddies that went to Berkeley. I partied up in Berkeley. Don't tell me people weren't loving Vanilla Ice back in the day. <laughs> I lived it. I, I didn't see Vanilla Ice getting brought into the show. I drank, as, as Ric Flair once said, I, I spent more money on spilt liquor than more of you did in the 90s. <laughs> I partied everywhere. I partied in Anaheim. I partied I partied at UCLA, USC, Stanford, Cal. I partied everywhere, even at Davis. I even went up to Davis in that cow town and partied. You know, we never partied. San Diego State, I've, Fullerton. I've been at Long Beach. Clearly tell you never partied at CSU Bakersfield. Or, no, I did not or party. Fresno State. Well, I have spent time in Bakersfield when I did play-by-play for the San Jose Giants. So you might have partied down there then. Oh, I have partied at Bakersfield. Okay. I just wasn't in college at the oh, time. Okay. And you never definitely partied at Fresno then. Oh, well, of course I've partied at Fresno. Oh. San Jose State would go down. I stayed at the SAE house for like three days. I'm not even a frat guy. I stayed at the SAE house for three days. Was it three days? Two or three days down in Fresno. Oh, I've partied in Fresno. Don't kid yourself. There's not a place I haven't been. I'm I'm the Johnny Cash of partying in California. What the hell are you gonna play now? I was I don't I thought I had it ready. You know the play all time. I like, just play the. That's not true. That is true. Yeah, I don't. I forget where I put it. It's okay. We've got to get you a drop machine. We got to get you the screen, and you can just hit them whenever you want. Yeah. This is this is not working anymore. 
That's not true. It is true. I have partied at Fresno. <laughs> I, you know what? The only place I haven't partied, and I hate to say it because it kind of, kind of, it kind of hurts my street cred. Sonoma State. Uh, no one goes to Sonoma <laughs> State. Uh, clearly, Just a bunch of people smoking weed. Clearly, you've never partied at my wife's university. Chico. I've never been to Chico. Yeah, I've never been out there either. I party in Sac. I've been all over Sac. Never partied at my wife's school. Elk Grove, done it. Downtown Sac, done it. Never Chico. I got nothing on you. Yeah, I've been Fresno, Fres-Tucky. I've been there. Don't kid yourself. Don't go to sleep on Long Beach, by the way, and Seal Beach. Love, I love Long Beach Airport. It's the best airport in great Southern airport. California. Still under construction, but great airport. You fly in, you can go out, you can exit from the front or the back of the plane. Speeds everything up. Uh, yeah, but don't go to sleep on Long Beach. What was that? The something in? They had a great. Hey, you can have fun everywhere. Orange County, L.A. My wife's college is Palm in the, Springs. I'm partying in Palm Springs. My wife's university was in the middle of a residential area. Where? In San Rafael. Who? It's called Dominican University. Oh, what? Yeah, it's in San Rafael. Save it. There's like two bars there. I'll tell you something that every so I was, I've been there. I was there during the All-Star break, and I was there on Saturday. And it reminds me every single time. I grew up hating Los Angeles. But I've spent a lot of time in Los Angeles. I think there's a lot of people up here in the Bay Area who say they hate, but they've never really done that much there. I hate L.A.'s a pit. Now, there's great parts of L.A., there's no question. But in general, L.A. sucks. I hate L.A. Can't stand there's So no you're the opposite of Randy Newman. You, love, you don't love no, L.A.? No, I do not love L.A. And I was walking through LAX yesterday morning. They do have a I Love L.A. based off of Randy Newman's hit song. I love L.A. There's no problem in the Dodgers. We love too. it, yeah. I was right by Chavez Ravine. Off to South Central Los Angeles, the home of USC. Someone show, someone shared a photo of uh, of LA, the L.A. Memorial Coliseum when they renovated it. The guy was sitting, like, in his seat, and it was obstructed view, and they put, like, the club area or whatever there. So you only see the uh, the, what would be the south end zone, and that's it. Like, you can't see the rest of the but field. But don't worry. There's 78,000 seats you can move somewhere. They haven't had a full sellout. No. I remember I went – to the L.A. Memorial Coliseum in 1988. You can look this up. Number one, USC against number two, Notre Dame, and Lou Holtz went in there. It was like 110,000 people. It was crazy. But I actually went down, you know, where the torches and the famous arches right there. That's yeah. where they've, you know, it's the only facility that's hosted two Olympic Games. Did you know that? Yes. 1932 and 1984. And I went and checked because they have all those famous plaques that are there. Really cool stuff. You talk about some of the great athletes in the history of the world have performed at the L.A. Coliseum, I've never which been. was once owned by the city of Los Angeles, and now USC runs it, and that's why they're putting a lot of money into it. And the when when when's L.A. supposed to get the summer games? It's coming up here. It's the twenty L.A. Let's see. So I have been told, and I actually knew this. Twenty. When, I was going to say twenty twenty eight. Looks like twenty twenty eight. Yeah. Um, when the Raiders, when I was working for the Raiders and we went down, when so SC took over the Coliseum and the Rams were playing there until SoFi was built. So with the Raiders, we went down there and played the preseason and they showed us the drawings and everything and what they were going to do with that new press box because when we were there playing the Rams, it was all just like a, a thrown-together press box, right? 
and they were going to build this. And the new press box looks sweet. I mean, I didn't go in it, but they, they got luxury suites. It looks. They're going to do for the opening games for the 2028 Olympics. It's going to be at SoFi and the LA Coliseum. They're going to use both stadiums for the uh, opening ceremonies and closing ceremonies. Sorry, Duel, dueling opening ceremonies. Should SoFi's, be pretty cool. SoFi's hosted a lot of cool things. Right, Super Bowl, uh, Taylor Swift, uh, WrestleMania. Taylor Swift. WrestleMania was there last year. So last year? Yeah, it was last year. You know who has the Super Bowl this year? Vegas. The Las Vegas Raiders have it. The Raiders are hosting the Super Bowl. The Raiders have hosted the draft, which is a big deal now, and now the Raiders are going to host the Super Bowl, the number one event in the United States of America every single year is what? Super Bowl. What is the most watched thing on television every year? Super Bowl. What's the most bet on thing every single year? Super Bowl. Raiders. So whatever town it's in, that sit that team is hosting it. Who would have ever thought that the Raiders would be hosting the Super Bowl? Speaking of the Raiders, did it to troll my Niner friends. My last pick in my fantasy draft last night in the league I run, who do you think it was? The last pick? The last pick for me. Your last pick? My last pick. What position? Quarterback. You went Brock? No. The troll Niner fans. Oh, you went Jimmy G. Jimmy the, G, baby. The Disney Prince? He's my third quarterback. How many fantasy How many fantasy teams do you have? Uh, I'm in two. And then I have. Whoa, whoa, whoa. That's football. Baseball's the A's league. And then I do hockey and basketball. Oh, we're not. We just have a league. Yes. So there's a league. Yeah. There's a league. You just say yeah. there's a league. Yeah. Not for any money. Yeah. You're yeah. only in one baseball. Yeah, and then there's football, or there's I do hockey with a couple of dudes from back home, and that's free. So almost everyone starts paying attention. So you got four or five. Yeah. That's nothing. I heard someone say they were in six fantasy leagues. Six, just football. I mean, I love it, but I don't. I mean, I don't love it that much. Especially if you have to pay for all of them. I'm out. You're out. <laughs> I haven't done a fantasy league in a long time, except this one you dragged me into. And I've, you know what? I'm going with my guys, wall to wall. Six months. I'm going with my guys. Have you even made a move? Uh, yeah, I needed outfielders. Well, I have a, I have a shortstop. No one wants to trade. Wander Franco is out there. I'm willing to trade him to all of you guys. Everybody wanted him. Everybody was asking for him. I, he's available. I will trade you Wander Franco right now. I think our trade deadline's passed anyway. I, I'll give him to you on waivers. <laughs> Can okay. we do waivers like we used to? I got Ellie De La Cruz. I'm, I'm, I'm okay. Anybody wants Wander Franco, they can have Franco, Franco, whatever you want to call him, you can have him. Too, too bad we don't count defensive metrics because uh, I have the lead with every, all the throws at Ellie De La Cruz. Oh, makes. you want another elbow guy? How about Nathan Avaldi sitting on my IL? Remember how great Nathan Avaldi was? I heard Kirsten say they don't know if he's going to be back this year. So that's another. That's reason. why they had to go get Jordan Montgomery and, and Max Scherzer. Scherzer yeah. Think about that. Avaldi was. He's a ticking – all these guys are a ticking time bomb. By the way, Lance is awesome. But when it comes to driveline, what's the arm factory down in Texas? Texas the Baseball Ranch. Ranch. 
We had the guy on. What's the guy? What do we got Morgan Hill? I don't know the name of it. All right, there's one in Morgan Hill. They can say whatever they want. What they don't have is the answer is why the elbow can't handle. And if you're listening, athletics.com slash acecast, we love you. You can't see this, but I'm pointing to where it is. They can't, they can't tell you why. Why did Nolan Ryan's last for 26 years? Verlander's last for how long? Was it 20 years before you had to have Tommy John? Well, it was first year it was, was like 05 or 06. So, yeah, he won like at least 15 plays. He won 15 Oh, it was more than 15. Well, he started in the, what? What year was year he went? drafted? Oh, you're talking about the minors. So, yeah, it's probably early 2000s out of what is it, Virginia, oh. right? Or Virginia Tech. Was he Virginia or Virginia? Was he a Hokie or a Cavalier? I think he was a Cavalier. No, we're both wrong. Old, Old Dominion. Dominion. <laughs> Not the band. Old Dominion. Who the hell comes out of Old Dominion? There's not many. Uh, Verlander's drafted in 2004. His major league debut was in, I want to say it was 05, but yeah, 2005. Okay. How many teams? You're trying to tell me there was nobody in college baseball that didn't think Verlander could pitch at the Division One level? At a, at a prominent school? He had to go to Old Dominion? Oh, there's so many stories like that anymore. Uh, well, here's a. But it wasn't like Verlander's my size. He's six five. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, name me a li- Give me old, great old Dominion baseball players. And where the hell is old? Is it in Virginia? It's in Virginia, Norfolk, Virginia. Uh, is that big, where the FBI is? No, Norfolk F- is. No, FBI is in. There's a Navy. There's something big in Norfolk. Is it FBI in um, Langley? That's CIA. Virginia. That's CIA. Oh, that's CIA. Yeah. There's something big. In, in Norfolk. That might be more Navy. Daniel Hudson's from Old Dominion. Vinny Pasquantino's from Old Dominion. Uh, Ryan Yarbrough's from Old Dominion. I'm just looking at guys that made the majors that we know. Um, so There's not really any big name guys. Jared Koenig, former A. I didn't even see Koenig on there. There he is. He uh, one year there. Um, did the only thing he pitched in a game. Oh, just showing hitting. Uh yeah, Pascantino's the best hitter to come out of there, it looks like, so far. Not even not even kidding. He has the most hits, most home runs. Uh, Pitching-wise, yeah, besides Verlander, Koenig, uh, Daniel Hudson. Um, the second most wins out of the University of Old Dominion behind Verlander is 254. All right. There's the massive Navy base, Chesapeake Bay. That's right. That's where they bring subs in mm. and work on subs. Norfolk, Virginia has a lot of boating activity, naval activity. I knew there was something. Yeah, not a lot of, not a lot of, not a lot Langley, of. CIA, where's FBI? I think that Quantico. Where's the he- he- FBI headquarters? Federal Bureau of Investigation. It's in, um, shocker, it's in Washington, D.C. Is it? That's what it says. But what's, right. Quantico's where they train everyone, though, right? I don't know. I was just on an East Coast trip, and we did everything. We didn't yeah. do – Yeah, Quantico's where all employees on board and receive ongoing world-class training. Quantico's in Virginia. What did you think of my ecosystem essay, as they like to say? Uh, you want full BK there, huh? Uh, I thought it was good. You was agree it? or disagree? I, well, I agree. Why would I, oh, why would I disagree with Because you like to disagree with most everything that I say. No, I agree. That's, that's your I, nature. I think you need to have a healthy ecosystem when it comes to your organization. You can't just keep buying players like the Yankees did before. 
and kind of what they're <clears throat> doing now. It hasn't won. Well, look at the Padres. Padres. Look at the Mets. Who else is that? I saw MLB now with the question, who's the most disappointing team? There's so many teams you can throw in there, but it has to be Padres or Mets. But, yeah. Who is the most disappointing team? Hmm. You throw Angels in there. No. There's no way the Angels stack up to. Uh, no, no, no. Above Mets the Mets and, and Padres. No, but you can put them in. If you do the top five, I think the Padres are in. Cardinals. Mm. I, I, it's I, Mets or Padres. I, I think you got to go Mets. It's the height, it's the most money ever spent in the history of baseball. It's the most money. Never, ever, 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 ever has anyone in the United States of America who owns a professional sports team spent more money on players than what we saw with the Mets. It's by a lot. Yeah, It's the most money ever spent, and they punted by the All-Star break. wasn't like, ah, it's been a couple of years. They surrendered. They, it's like they, we've got the biggest army, and they got into the fight and went, ah, we're out of here. <laughs> I mean, they surrendered. Well, then you saw the report that was out the other day. I think you sent it to me, Ben. I sent it to Ray earlier in the day. Um, they, they could look their expectations. They're going to trade Pete Alonso in the offseason. Sounds like an Oakland A already. Here's what we do. Here's what we do. Bring in the polar bear. No to play first, polar bear DH. Soderstrom, you've got to figure something out. Outfield. Would you not want the polar bear hitting tanks at the at, at the at the collie? Remember when he's played here, he just hits rockets. I would tell I give me the polar bear. Let's see how many home runs is he? He's, is he he's got thirty nine. He's one away from forty, I think. Another 40 home run season for this guy. I don't know why I was typing in his name. was Paul Alonzo. Pete. He had, yeah, yep, you're right, 39. He's got 39 tanks. He already has 185 career home runs. How many RBIs does he have this year? 96. All right. We're getting 40 dingers, 100 RBIs guaranteed with the A's. That's obviously not. But, you know, another thing to think about going back into that buy-in of changing players, there's something about the ego, and I think back to Frank Thomas when he left Kansas, uh, not Kansas, when he left Chicago to come to here. Frank, Frank Thomas's ego was hurt. He was a wounded guy at the time. Bad feet, bad attitude, bad this, bad that. He was not in Chicago. He was Frank Thomas. He's two-time MVP. He's not listening to there. But once they're like, see ya. And once your ego has taken a hit, it's amazing how things can change, right? Jerry Rice, ego was hurt when San Francisco basically said, T.O.'s our guy. We're moving on. And Jerry went to the Raiders and was now kind of a different guy. Because the franchise that he was the man and he was, you know, the greatest wide receiver and I'm Jerry Rice Niners, you just got kicked to the curb. It's amazing when teams let guys go and they still got a lot left, but they got to kind of conform and change a little bit because their ego's taking a big hit because they're not that guy anymore. People are not like – there was nobody out there going, 
Frank Thomas is available. My God, back up the Brinks truck. Frank was damaged goods in a way. Came to Oakland. I remember I interviewed him. He was as nice as could be because when I tried to interview Frank Thomas as a, as a White Sox, he was a jerk. He, he, Albert Bell and him always had in, at the Coliseum their lockers next to each other. You couldn't do anything with Frank. Frank with the ace was as sweet as can be. But Frank, the ego was a different deal. When he got to Oakland, there was questions, did he have anything left? Could he still play? How old was he when he first got to Oakland? 38. Yeah, he's 38 years old. He's not... fourth in the MVP voting. Yeah, he was incredible. Is that the year Morneau won, by the way? I think it was your Morneau won. See if my baseball knowledge is still there. Justin Morneau beat out Derek Jeter for the MVP. Uh, that, that'll that leave me. We Who do we got next? Uh, Ryan Divish. 530. We haven't taken a break, have we? We have not. There was an interesting article, folks, about you call him Mike Stanton. <laughs> we got to call him John Carlos Stanton. And do you have the do you have the David Force yeah. ready? Yeah. Carlos Stanton has basically said in an interview, so worried about analytics, how hard I hit the ball, barrel rates, exit velocity, and everything. And he basically said the same thing David Force said. Who would have ever thought that I could take two baseball powers, David Forrest and Giancarlo Stanton, and they would be on the same page? Who would have thought David Forrest and Giancarlo Stanton would be thinking the same way? No one would have ever thought that. And you might be saying, what the hell am I talking about? I'll explain next right here on A's Cast Live. This is Chris Townsend and Commander Cody for Link Soul. The new summer colors and prints are in stock. The new polos, lightweight, all the colors you want. Fabulous. We got our new order. My wife is so happy that I'm dressing so much better. All thanks to Link Soul. You name it, whether it's polos, whether it's shorts, anything for your summer needs, you need to revamp your wardrobe. You go to LinkSoul.com and they got great summer deals. Go to LinkSoul.com. That's LinkSoul.com. Streaming from the town, A's Cast Live continues with Chris Townsend. We do read the questions and comments that you send on Facebook and YouTube. Give it to me. Uh, we were asked by one of our listeners. Let me let me get it. Hold yes. On. And did you party in Chesapeake Bay too, Uncle Towney? Uh, I was Questions not on the screen. I was not actually in the water. I was looking at the water in Baltimore, Maryland. And yes, that whole God, what the hell is it called again? Where all the restaurants are all around to the water. There's an area. I I've, should know this. I've only ever driven And there's the all the bars around there. So, yes, I was looking at it and having a very good time. I, I Inner Harbor, I think is what it's called. The Wires film, that great show. Baltimore's not a great town. The Inner Harbor's not. But Baltimore's not a great town. I, no. noticed, I noticed that from The Wire, and I was filmed in the early no, 2000s. No, 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 no. I do love the East Coast, though. Ocean City, Maryland. I I could I could live I could live part time on the East Coast. It just once it gets cold, I'm out. I'm out. 
I couldn't deal with that. I, that'd be like the one thing. You know, early on in our business, everybody's like, you want to go? Because everybody thought everybody wanted to go work at ESPN. You want to go work at ESPN? You want to go work at, no, I do not want to. There's no way I'm going to Connecticut. No way. Now, I almost took a job, ESPN Radio Los Angeles. Thank God I didn't do that. Um, but no way. Full-time being, like, I could do a baseball season. Like, if you work for a team on the East Coast, could do, like, I wouldn't want to work for Tampa. Going into that dome every day would be miserable. I could work for the Marlins. I like my, my I mean, Miami's incredible. Heard's not a great ballpark. Miami's incredible. Oh, yeah. Well, I've never been, but. I've only been to Florida once. Miami is is everything that's advertised. Remember I told you my wife's going to Jacksonville? I told her, I said, hey, you should go check out the Jags. No. And she was like, who am I going to go with? I don't know. You don't mind spending money? I go. could do the Red Sox. I could do the Blue Jays, Yankees, Mets, Phillies, Orioles. Yeah, I could do all that. If you're there for six months, yeah. What about Atlanta? Hotland? I could do Hotlanta. Great golf all around. Hot, though, man. Hot. How far is Augusta from there? It's like 40 minutes. Okay. See, there you go. Augusta, Georgia is right on the South Carolina border. So, literally, from the Masters, Augusta, Augusta, Georgia, you're like a few minutes and you're at the border. You're immediately into South Carolina. My My aunt lives in Savannah. I love South Carolina. Now, there's some backwoods crazy stuff that we drove through that I don't know who's living there and how they do it. <laughs> like, and there's like, they call highways, they're like one, they're the roads that it's supposed to, on, on Google Maps or whatever, on ways it says it's a highway or it says it's a some type of interstate. I, it's one way each way. And there's a church like every five miles. No hospitals, no nothing. Barely any gas stations. I don't know how these people live in the southeast. It's backwoods, swampy, crazy places. But so, I've driven all through the southeast, and you're like, what lives down here? So you th- and you'll be off, and there'll be like this huge house, and they got all this acreage, and you're like, man, what are these people doing? What are, they, what are these people doing on a Friday night? So this sounds like going to West Virginia then, pretty much. Someone that grew up right close to West Virginia. You boys ain't, you boys ain't around from around here, are you, boy? You're doing deliverance. <laughs> yeah, that's what it felt like. We got to this gas station. But then, of course, we're going to Hilton Head, which is like, you know, an island. It's a very nice de- It's like one of the best. Yeah, for the East Coast people, it's like Pebble Beach, right? You get out to Hilton Head, and it's like, this place is swank. I mean, I could live here in a second. Myrtle but, Beach is man, nice. Man, South Carolina. Myrtle Beach Ooh, is nice. Yeah, Myrtle Beach is nice. South Carolina, though, when you're on your way to Hilton Head, oh, boy. <laughs> Scary. Don't break down because <laughs> your car could easily just vanish into the woods and they never find you. Not saying that would happen. I'm just saying it felt like that. Felt a little uh, scary. And you're like, this says this is an interstate. It's just one lane and you don't see anybody. And it's like, people live like that. Wow. Um, all right. Something that we've talked about, it's like funny. It's like trying to find this mix, right? Everybody's trying to find the what's best, right? What is best to get our players ready to play? What's the best things to actually find out how to, like, 
what what should our players be good at? They get on base. I love Ryan Nody. He gets on base. Okay. But, you know, there's other things more than just getting on base. Kyle Schwarber, he hits home runs, he gets on base, but he's hitting a buck 80. Well, is he a productive player? Well, he gets on base, he hits home runs, and he scores runs, so yeah. So it's kind of like tough. It's like, and then now we got certain organizations that focus so much and the rumblings about the Yankees, about how bad they have been, and they're in last place, and oh my God. And there's news and notes coming out of there that now that Cashman and, and Aaron Boone are going to come back, no matter what. You're reading that out of what? Oh, uh, Andy Martino from SNY had a story about Cashman and Boone and how Boone, if they if the front office wanted to get rid of Boone, uh, Steinbrenner can you know overrule them and then somehow – Cashman essentially is going to be What back. time are we on till? Uh, a little before six. Pre-game's at six. So we got Ryan Divish in five minutes. Let's save this. Okay. But, yes, I will. I'll tie up the loose ends here. We will have Giancarlo Stanton and David Forrest on the same page. You didn't think I could make that happen. I'm looking forward to it. And the the the, the – the audio is actually video forced in you at the treehouse. Yeah. It all tied into a Zach Geloff question. The, the fact that you could actually tie, you call him Mike Stanton, I call him John Carlo. The fact that we can tie John Carlo Stanton, David Force together, that will be magic. Uh, speaking of magic, look at this. Mariners have won 11 of 12. They've made up eight and a half games in the AL West. They were seven and a half games back at Texas at one point. This is the latest they've been in first place since 2001. They're 19-5 and five in August. Two more victories will be their best calendar month ever. They lead Major League Baseball in runs per game, 6.1, and Dingers, 43 in August. Every one of their players, you could do this, right? So, J-Rod, he's only hitting... 491 during his 12 game hit streak. Only. Yeah. Only hitting 491. Yeah, he maybe needs to work on some things. Nine extra base hits. That's five doubles, four home runs, eight stolen bases, 18 RBIs during that time. How about Hernandez? Jesus, three home runs over his last two days. He's hitting 434, 11 extra base hits, 16 RBIs during his 12 game on base streak. He's hit 382 his last 19 games. Suarez on our illegal fantasy team. He's on my team. He's got a 400 on base. I mean, every guy, 11 RBIs. The big dumpers hitting 333, five dingers the last 11 games. What else do I got? Josh Rojas, he's hitting 367 since coming over from the Snakes. 16 runs in 14 games. I mean, every single guy they got. And to tie it in, I heard Tim Kirchin say that if they end up winning the division, they'll be the eighth team in the, since the division era started in 1969 to be ten games back in the second half and finish in first place. Only the eighth team. I'm assuming how many games back with the A's in 12 from Texas? Oh, we were, in, in 2012, at one point, we were like 13 and a half so games I'm back. I'm sure the A's were one of the eight and real one of the seven already. That's the whole thing about all these people that want to do first half awards and all of that. Go back to 2012, A's were dead in the water, but all of a sudden from June 2nd on, 
The A's had the best record in baseball. They hit the most home runs in baseball and reeled in the Texas Rangers from 13 and a half back to three with four games to play. You know how hard it is to sweep a team the last four games, and the A's did that. It was a magical ride. And the the Mariners, same thing. And how about their last ten games? Three at Texas and then seven at home, Houston and Texas, just the way it should be, finishing the season at home against division. That's not the case for Texas because uh, who do they got? They got Anaheim. Well, now you know, Texas will finish all in division. Texas, Anaheim, they'll go Seattle, Anaheim, Seattle. Houston, by the way, their last ten games, they got one with Baltimore, three with Kansas City, the three games with Seattle, and three at Arizona. That's not how you want to finish up. But then again, that's probably better for the Mariners because the last thing you would want is, if you're a Mariner fan, the last thing you'd want is Houston finishing up with a bunch of games against us. Yeah, yeah. No offense to us. Yeah. (laughs) But I I don't think we're going to be the biggest formidable foe in the last ten games of the season. That will help. The fact that for the Mariners, that will help that, Houston has to take on at least Arizona, whose Arizona is going to be fighting like hell for a playoff too in that last series. So, so Seattle can take care of their own business against Houston, and then hopefully you you become a D-backs fan if you're a Mar- if you want to see the Mariners win it all or get in the playoffs. Because hey, the bottom line is you're going to have Mariners, Astros, Rangers, Blue Jays. One of those teams is not making the postseason. Is Ryan ready? Yeah. Ryan, welcome back to A's Cast Live. Uh, a lot of things have changed since the last time we talked to you. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I cover the hottest team in baseball now. It's a little odd for me. No doubt. I mean, what's this run been like? Um, you know, I guess last year they won 14 straight games going into the All-Star break, so I guess it's about the same. I mean, you just don't see this. It reminds me um, that year, I think it was 18, when the A's chased down the Mariners from behind and passed them, and they played like 770 baseball towards the end of the season. And basically just kicked their ass. Um, that's what it feels like. The Mariners have played out of their mind. Um, and, I mean, like it's not like I thought they sucked. You know, like when we yeah. talked to them, they're, they're a good team. They just hadn't played to any sort of level of expectation. They were underachieving big time, and now they've played to better, played to the level of their um, talent, and probably above it. And it's just been one of those runs where it doesn't seem like anything they do goes against them. So we can look at stats and see what the changes are, but something had to flip. Something had to change. You got a group of human beings that weren't—they're kind of in a malaise. They weren't playing the way you th- they thought they were going to play, and all of a sudden, bang, they're now probably playing above board. But what was it? What flipped with these guys? What changed? Yeah, I, I mean, they had them. So, like, on on because I'm, I'm writing a little bit about this um, on June 28th or June or no June 30th, June 30th, they um, they lost 15 to four to the Rays at home. And that was coming off of a series where they lost two or three to the Nats. So they were 38 and 42, 10 games out of the division. And they got booed at home. I mean, they got booed. there was 37,000 people here to see fireworks. And they got booed badly at home. 
and people were upset and you know you never want to get booed like that and they'd had a team meeting before just kind of about their priorities you know i wouldn't say that they were selfish at bats but a lot of guys i think were caught up in their own numbers you know and then they were they were pressing because you know I'm, i don't have the batting average i want i don't have the homers or i'm not you know in line to be on the all-star team like i thought in the all-star games we playing in seattle yeah so you know they won that game and they just they started playing a little bit better and i think you know Scott Service and the staff have just been hammering him about, hey, you know, stop trying to hit a, a grand slam when there's nobody on base. You know, stop trying to hit a ball 500 feet when all we want you to do is just hit it hard. And slowly but surely, you know, what happens with players is, is you have a little bit of success, you do it this way, and then, you know, it, it starts to kind of build, and that's what happened. I mean, it happened for them a year ago, last year. You know, they, they get they lose four of five at home to the Angels and they're ten games below five hundred and they got booed that day and it was their rock bottom moment and then they went like twenty two and three. You know, I didn't think they had that in them this year, but they've managed to do that. I mean, I think they're I'm looking so on that July first they beat the Ra- they beat the Rays on July first the next day, and they're thirty six and fourteen since then. I mean, that's the best record in baseball in the last fifty games is thirty six and fourteen. You know, and they've done it against a lot of good teams, the Rays, the Giants, the Astros. You know, they beat a lot of good teams along the way. So I guess it's just kind of like they finally figured out what they needed to do to win a game, and they started to believe in it. Well, they better get ready for the next couple days because a bully's come to town right now. They better be ready to rock because these A's just split a big set in uh, Chicago and uh, just recently took two out of three from Kansas City. So look out. You know, that's the thing is like, but like the A's play hard, you know, they they don't, you know, they, like my college baseball coach said to me, I had loft issues, lack of freaking talent. Yeah. I mean, the A's don't have the most talent in the world, but they play hard. And like Scott Service says, that scares you more. Like when we were in Chicago, those guys gave up. Okay. You know, like they got down earlier, you know, they saw that Luis Castillo had the good stuff and it looked like the getaway day of the getaway game of the last game of spring training where guys are swinging at the first pitch just hoping to get out and get out of there you know teams like the a's and the royals late in the season you got guys playing for something it matters to them so it scares the mariners you know they don't know a ton about them i mean like you'll t- I, I mean like i'd rather watch a team that plays hard and gives a damn than a bunch of high-priced veterans that are just collecting a paycheck and trying to get the season over because their their organization is a mess we had that argument in the press box like you know who, which organization is more messed up right now, the Angels or the White Sox? You know, like who would you rather be a fan of if you were a fan? Because they're both are just in disarray. I'd rather, I'd rather be Angels. At least they're trying. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, like, you know, the both owners are meddlesome in bad ways, and you know, it's affected them. I don't think that you know, I don't think that I like. I've known Pedro Grafal for a long time. I don't think he's the answer. Chicago, nor do I think Phil Nevin's the answer in, in the Angels, but the culture above them has to change before the product of the field's going to change. Speaking of that, Jerry Depoto. It's interesting how Jerry Depoto. I remember trades Graveman, now Seawald. It's just he'll make trades to change the mixture of the club. It's not like he's making trades with, with Seawald and he's just trying to bring in a bunch of A-ball guys. Just talk about the way Jerry DePoto operates, he's a riverboat gambler. It's very interesting. Yeah, he's an opportunist. 
you know, I think he looked at the team, you know, and, and the trade deadline came around. They they were only they weren't playing that well. You know, I think they were still four four games out of first place or four games out of the wild card. So it's like you know they they were on a bit of a hot streak. But Seawald was a very tradable asset in the sense that he's going to get more expensive due to arbitration, and he's also at the peak of value. You know, he's never going to have more value than he would right now. So he looked at it and said, well, let's take a chance. And what they got back are two position players that ostensibly filled the roles of A.J. Pollock and, and Colton Long, who were abysmal uh, to start the season. So you bring in these two younger guys. They, they've they been productive. Rojas has been very productive the last like 12 games. Canzones hit some big homers. And then all of a sudden, it's a little bit better. You know, like that's production you weren't getting. And, I mean, they were major holes. And it always seemed like in the games leading up to it, Pollock or Wong would be up with, like, in key situations they weren't producing. So you replace those two guys. And, yeah, players were upset that Seawall got traded. But at the same time, players move on quickly. And I think the one thing about the team they do understand is, like, the Mariners know how to find and build pitching. I mean, Paul Seawald is the example. He's the re- – you know, like, his success is the reason why the Mariners felt – Mariners felt comfortable trading because they found him on the minor league sign. You know, they they taught, they worked with him, tried to develop him into more of a reliever, and he be, turned him turned him into something. So the Mariners feel like if we can do that with Paul Seawald, guys that want to do this and guys that want to believe in this stuff, we feel like we can make them. So you know, this year it's Gabe Spire, Justin Topa, Taylor Sacedo, all these guys they picked up off the waiver wire minor league signs. They're all contributing. And so that's why they felt comfortable trading Seawald is because, you know, they feel like they can make another one in some way. And then the other thing that they got is starting pitching. With so many teams are trying to find starting pitching and trying to find guys, that's the one thing that, wouldn't you say, is the scary thing about the Mariners. I read all that offensive stuff that's going on to our audience, but the starting pitching, wow, pretty good. Yeah, I mean, like if you're, you know, the Mariners I think are going to get in the postseason – if they're playing in a wild card series and they're going to run out Luis Castillo, Logan Gilbert, and George Kirby at you in a three-game series, that's pretty rough, you know? And that means Bryce Miller, who's been a starter, you put him in the bullpen and, and Brian Wu, you put them in the bullpen and say, hey, you got two innings, go out and unleash hell, you know, throw it as hard as you can. I mean, that's a tough series because that's real pitching. All those guys are studs. You know, and so the same thing with the five-game series. If they, you know, if they were to win the division and host a five-game series, you know, you're going to see Luis Castillo twice, and he can be really, really good. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's the starting pitching, and and it's all, you know, like Gilbert, Kirby, uh, Wu, uh, Bryce Miller, and then even Emer- Emerson Hancock who got hurt. All draft, all draft picks, all developed, all within two years of their drafts when they in the big leagues. So they figured out something with the pitching. Uh, you know, and now that's that's why I think, like I said, they're able to feel like they can move guys and stuff because they feel like they have unlocked something with pitching development. They're, they're comfortable moving forward. When you talk about the division, if Texas doesn't figure out their bullpen, they'll be a non-factor and they'll be out of this. They've got to figure out, and they got to get other guys hot too, but they got to figure out their bullpen. We got a long way to go, though. I mean, we got a whole month of baseball. If Texas is still in this thing, I got to believe Houston will still be in this thing. How much do you like that the Mariners' last 10 games at Texas, 
then come home for three against Houston, then end the season with four against Texas. Essentially, really your destiny is like in your own hands. Yeah, I mean, like they're, those will be 10 crazy games, that's for certain. You know, I think the Mariners feel like they've exercised some demons with Houston. You know, they've, beat, they've I think, what, eight and two against them this year or something like that. So they feel pretty good about that. Texas has beat them up pretty good. But the Texas team we're seeing now isn't the Texas team we saw early in the season, you know. It's funny. Everybody's, oh, John Gray, this. He's not throwing like that. Nate Evaldi gets hurt because, you know, he's been hurt often. You know, like they don't, you know, the, all the pieces that they went and got, it helped them. But wasn't enough. Like you just saw it the other day. Chapman can't go two days in a row like he used to because you know the second day he was he was good. He was lights out on the Saturday. I think it was, and or on Friday and then Saturday he blew it. You know he couldn't throw a strike. So I, I, I'm very curious. I, I've always said it. I always thought the Astros were going to come back and catch the Rangers just because it's what the Astros will do. And I mean I'm I wouldn't you know I still wouldn't put past the Astros to find a way to to be there at the very end and be competing for the division title. The Mariners have the season series on them. That helps a little bit, but yeah, it's going to be crazy. Those last 10 games, you know, I mean that the seven games here to end out the season for the Seattle, I mean, they're going to be as important of games as they played here, you know, in quite a while, at least in the regular season. You know, football season starting, obviously the NFL starts taking over, especially when you're in an NFL, you're in an NFL town. But when I think about breaking up that playoff drought for the Mariners last year, I think about the run that the Mariners are on. I think about hosting the All-Star game. Just talk about the rebirth and just, you know, from the All-Star game to where you are now, what it's like there in Seattle with Mariner fans. Yeah, I mean, I think people, it's a it's a, it's a a baseball city. Um, you know, obviously the Seahawks, the NFL is a behemoth, and it takes a lot of people, you know, but – when Seattle, when baseball has been right in this city, I mean, these fans are as passionate as anyone to show up. You know, I, I, 2021, they had three games against the Angels to end the season. They were 47,000 every day. You know, we just had, they just played the Royals and they had 47,000 on Friday sellout, 44 or 41 on Saturday and 39 on Sunday. You know, it's the Royals. It's not like a huge draw. You know, they got 39,000 when the uh, Padres were in town. I mean, in midweek game. So, yeah, it's going to be crazy. And, like, that's the thing, too, is, like, when you're playing for something, it's an everyday thing. There's a result every day. You know, like, this time of year, all people care about is that game that night. You know, and, and you know, because the NFL, you got to wait all week. And people will be excited on Sunday or next Sunday when the Seahawks play. Don't get me wrong, but until then, the Mariners hold center stage. Who's the guy that Scott Service relies on to be the guy in the clubhouse? Who is that kind of leader guy, the guy that's kind of like his right-hand man? Um, you know, I don't know if he has one. I mean, they, you know, because even then, like, the, the main guys before, like Kyle Seeger and then Mitch Hanneker, they kind of did it their own way, you know? service left him alone like he doesn't he doesn't expect like he doesn't want a guy to police his his beliefs he wants a guy that polices the right beliefs so you have guys like suarez and jp crawford and guys that have been around they play the way sport they play the way service wants them to play so he doesn't really push them to say hey you need to say this or that he just says hey you guys need to pick it up and find a way to do it and that's kind of what he's done with those guys yeah, it's, it's going to be a fun race. If you had to predict, 
Who do you think comes out on top? Who do you think's in the postseason? And who do you think goes home? Oh, I think all three are going to make it, honestly. But you see the Blue Jays being out then? Yeah, I do. Okay. I mean, like, they're they just one. They can't beat any of the teams in their division, and you know they have a relatively hard schedule. Houston's got a really easy schedule. It looks like I, I just did. I was looking at it here, um, but yeah, Boston's got a brutal schedule too. So I think, um, yeah, I think it'll be the three AL West teams. You know, I they're better than than the other two teams. Like I know everybody talked about the AL East and everything like that, but Toronto just they, they just they falter. I don't know what the deal is there. They have all the talent in the world. They don't play well, and. Um, yeah, I think I would just have all three of the Ava West teams getting in. Isn't that amazing? Because the way this season was, even at the halfway point, everybody's like, everybody from the AL East is going to make the playoffs, so you better win your division or you're not going to get in. Boy, have things, how things have changed. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, like, and, and that's the thing is, like, you know, the the Rays, I mean, like, I think the Rays are okay. Their pitching really got beat up. But these other, these other East teams, they're just not great. How's our Scottsdale bro doing? He's been banged up. Yeah, he'll he'll be back here soon. Uh, he's supposed to report to Tacoma on Tuesday and start his rehab. So my guess is we'll see him, you know, somewhere about September fifth or September sixth. So he'll be. Uh, he's spent a lot of time down in Scottsdale lately because the Arizona, <laughs> the Arizona, they send all their guys that are hurt down to Arizona to do their rehab stuff. So he's been down there hanging out. Ever since you ever since you said that, he's become our favorite Mariner. Like we're always like, hey, it's our Scottsdale bro. I guess the yellow Jeep and the frosted tips. Let's go. Oh, yeah. We're time oh, to yeah. rake. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, he's got some Drake pounding on the speakers, and you know, got a little white claw nearby. It's the best. <laughs> All right, man. It's always great to have you on the program. And uh, enjoy this, and let's talk later in the season as we get closer, because. This is what it's all about. It's going to be a lot of fun in the AL West. Sounds like a plan. Take it easy. Take care. Ryan Divis, who joins us from the Seattle Times. Got a little Drake in there. Got to have your Drake. Wasn't Drake just in town? Yeah, he was at uh, Chase and um, uh, was he at SAP? I think he might have just been at Chase. Well, clearly it's Drake's fault for Otani because Drake was wearing the Seattle Otani All-Star jersey. Correct. And that's... All right, how much time do I have? Like eight minutes. Okay, so quickly. I'm just wondering, we are not against analytics, but, and I think even you have seen the error in your ways. Maybe you haven't. That analytics isn't everything. You just can't base everything off whatever number it is you want whatever it is, whatever measurement, stuff just say, because it's not the old days, sabermetrics was math equations. Now we have so much that's about data that's coming from radar, which is essentially StatCast, TrackMan. It's tracking how the ball you're swimming. Uh, that, that's not a, that's not, Hawkeye. that's not OPS plus. That's not weighted runs created plus. Runs created weighted with a plus. A lot of people don't even know weighted Rated runs created plus is from runs created, Correct. which is actually I like that. It's it's a great stat because it's still, hey, do you produce me runs or not? 
What are you doing to affect the game? But anyway, the stuff that you're getting from the high-speed cameras and Rapsodos and, and, and TrackMan and all that and, and StatCast, that, that's, that's all measurement of radar, from radar. So, but all of that, in the end, it's about how you play. I asked this because this question that I asked our general manager came from the criticism of the Yankees and the way they're in the minor leagues. And a minor leaguer for the Yankees spoke out about saying, hey, listen, they don't care if you strike out. They don't care if you get out. As long as you hit the ball hard, exit velocity, barrel rates, that's all that matters. They had their own way to judge people. And as peer, they don't care how you play defense. They don't care how you run the bases. They don't care how you play the game. They just were like, how hard do you hit the ball all the time? That's all they care about. And I asked about our philosophy, and I wanted to play you our general manager, David Forrest, and this is what he had to say on A's Cast Live. Talked about exit velo, barrel rates, like barrel rates. All that crap goes out the door when the guys get here. When they're here, it's results. Like we use that stuff to project and to, you know, to sort of set expectations and make trades and evaluate players like when you're here when you're in the big leagues you get hits you score runs you drive in runs like the results matter here and and zach's doing it all i don't i don't know the average exit velo of all his hits i don't know the ridiculous launch angle of some of his homers though i see i saw the fly ball in in washington that was crazy it was i was (laughs) i was there with the team we're sitting behind home plate and it looks like a pop-up and then it goes and it goes and it goes so we don't track a lot of that stuff in the big leagues because when you're here, results count. What do you say to that? All that crap you throw out and it's about results. What do you say to that? Yeah, not, I'm in your face. I know. He's not wrong. <laughs> well, Giancarlo Stanton, who did Stanton talk to? I texted you. Um, it was, um, I think I have it on there. It's one of their Yankee honk riders. Um, it was a guy from the New York Post, I believe. Uh, did I put it in here? It was uh, Dan Martin of the New York Post. Who? Uh, yeah, yeah, I don't, yeah, I have no idea. But anyway, Dan Martin. So Giancarlo Stanton was very honest because he's having a tough year. And I have been one who have said, you know, we're interested in a DH and they want to pick up the majority of the salary. That sounds like an Oakland A already, right? Doesn't doesn't that like reek of big hurt, Mike Piazza, old man move? justice? Yo, ho, ho, ho. hey, he said call him anytime. Remember that? Yeah, he did. That was la- that was already a year ago. And you, yeah, what you gonna get him or not? But anyway, doesn't John Carlos Stanton sound like a great Oakland athletic? Older guy can come in, be a mentor, UDH. Close to home, he's from L.A. I know that totally goes against everything I've been saying with the young guys. <laughs> Sometimes I, hey, Omaha, we got to call. A, you're going to tell me the Yankees are going to pick up basically the entire salary to take him? Oh, would you, all right, real quick, would you rather have him or Luke Voigt? Sorry to your good friend Luke Voigt. And, and, Give up, have and, both. You, and you and Luke. Luke Voigt is our third baseman. <laughs> Who says John Carlo can't play first? Uh, you don't want to play. In the I outfield. have Ryan Noda because what does Noda do? He gets on base. Put him in left field. 
Ryan Noda has reached base in 15 of 29 plate appearances in seven games since coming off the IL. 15 of 29. What does he do? He gets on base. His 386 on base percentage is fourth in the American League. When is the last time, and I'm asking this question without having any idea, so it could, when's the last time we had a guy with this high of an on-base percentage? I'd have to go and look through. Jason Giambi? Yeah, that's a good pull. But you're right about Wouldn't be your guy Chapman. Hey, bye, everybody, Chapman. Go to MLB.com, look up Matt Chapman, and go look at Matt Chapman. You sent me the numbers today. Go look month to month. Go to MLB.com, look up Matt Chapman, go to Game Logs, and you can see month to month. I'm telling you, we'll all be thankful someday he didn't sign the long-term deal. Be right about Ryan Noda. He does. He gets on base. He gets on base. But Giancarlo Stanton, I, 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 get, I actually give him – I don't know much about him, right? He was such a great player in Miami. He was an MVP, signed that big deal. He's gone to New York. He is definitely hit. He's hit. In, in postseason, but he's just never been able to be healthy. When you're not healthy, it's tough to be consistent. And But well, he's hitting 202 with a 723 OPS this year. Yeah, but for his career with the Yankees, when yeah. he's been healthy, he's, he's been put good. up numbers. Yeah. And, he, and he he always, well, as he mentioned, and they asked him about the article, he always has good exit velocity and launch angle. So and they've been looking. He's like, the data's there, but then he had to say, to hell with the data. Yeah, his quote was, I'm at the point of the year where none of that stuff matters. And what did David Forrest say? Throw that crap out. They were showing today, I can't remember what show I was watching on MLB Network. Well, they showed, because I didn't get to see the Giants and Braves game yesterday. But that game had a lot of runs that were scored off balls that really weren't hit that hard. Because it's a game. It's 162 games. What you do in each individual game matters. And Giancarlo Stanton has not been productive despite hitting the ball hard when he has hit the ball. First of all, he doesn't hit the ball enough. That's Correct. the problem. Correct. Right? Stop telling me how hard you hit it when you finally do make contact. You need to make more contact. How about fillet a few more into right field for base hits? That's the thing. The more production you do, you've got to be productive. And we have too many guys that they're so focused and let's face it, like Eno Saris will say, well, you're going to be a better player if you hit it harder and have more barrels. Well, John Carlos Stan's going, you know what, that's not working. Because when he does hit it, he hits it hard. Problem is, he doesn't hit it enough. There's too many of these guys that don't hit it enough. And it's better to actually put the ball in play and be a productive player. I'm just going to look it up real quick because we're getting close. Uh, so many, what the most games John Carlos ever played for the Yankees. Ooh. Has he ever played more than 140? Yes, once. Once? He played 158 in the first year as a Yankee. He played 139 in 2021, 110 in 2022, and he's a 79 this year. What did he play in the COVID year? 23, 28, 2019 when he was 29 years old. No, 20, no, no, no. He played 19 games in 2019, 18 games in 2019, 23 in 2020. In 2020. He so played 23 games in the 60-game schedule. Yeah. In a span of two oh years, in a span of two seasons, he played 41 games. Oh my God. And he hit seven home runs. Yeah, I mean, what do? You, how are you productive if you never hit? But when he hits it, it's, it's great. When he hits it, it's hard. And it goes far. Great. Give me somebody that's productive, that's hitting the ball. 
Zach Geloff has shown every – has Zach Geloff hit everything hard? Nope. He hits it all over the ballpark. He's productive. You know, he's a little bit of a slump right now. This will be good to see, two for his last 20, his last five games. But where you hit balls up the middle, you hit balls to the right side, you slam one down the left field line for a double, you hit one out to right center, you hit one down to right field for a double, rip one out to left field. Like he's hitting it all over. He's using the whole field. A good hitter gets hits. And he hits a lot of ball hard, but he hits a lot of balls not hard. But he's hitting it where there's grass and not people. There's just something about it. By the way, one of the greatest Yankees of all time. Can't stand him. All the respect in the world. Is Derek Jeter in the Hall of Fame because of exit velocity? No, he's not in there for his defense. Did you want to see Derek Jeter up there in a crucial situation? He was a very clutch hitter, yes. But wait a minute. What was his barrel rate? Um, couldn't tell you. See, max exit velocity for uh, Zach Geloff is in the – it's blue, meaning it's not great. But it's all over the place. But he's not, but he's blue. They don't have his um, watch angle and all that stuff. I mean, just think about that. What Do you want a guy that's productive or do you just want to look – he hits the ball really hard. Look, there's a spray chart for his hits this year. They're all over the place. Yeah. Zach Geloff hits the ball all over the place, and it's refreshing. Are you telling me we got to go? Yeah. All right. Uh, say thank you to the guest. Thank you to Lance Brozdowski from uh, Marquee Sports Network, and thank you to Ryan Divish from the Seattle Times. Tomorrow we're going to have the Pitching Ninja and Eno Saris. Oh, my God. A lot of analytics there. It's a lot of nerds. I don't call them nerds. You call them nerds. Well, I'm allowed to. I'm a nerd, too. So, all right. Well, I love how these guys will refer to themselves. Like, we don't say anything, but they refer. Oh, well, you know, kind of a nerd. <laughs> hey, at least they're honest. <laughs> Oh, good show today. I think Lance is fantastic. Yes, we'll have to use him. We'll definitely use him in the offseason. Playoffs? Yeah, too. Maybe the Cubs will be in Did I just go Jim Mora? You did. Playoffs? He's talking about playoffs. Oh, win, win, win a damn game. I, I I could keep going. We only took one break today. Or two breaks. I know. I'm trying to play something for you before we're out. I'm just telling you. I, I, could, I could keep. I got more stuff. I got more stuff. Uh oh! By the way, with Batista, how big are Cano and uh, Hall for Baltimore right now? So DL Hall, the top DL, prospect? yeah, but DL Hall, uh, only eleven and two thirds innings since July twenty fifth, but he does have a one point five four ERA. They need him to be big. Baltimore, it's gonna be tough. Gonna be tough. All right, coming up next, A's total access brought to you by Chevron. This is Chris Townsend and Commander Cody for Link Soul. The new summer colors and prints are in stock. The new polos, lightweight, all the colors you want. Fabulous. We got our new order. My wife is so happy that I'm dressing so much better. All thanks to Link Soul. You name it, whether it's polos, whether it's shorts, anything for your summer needs, you need to revamp your wardrobe. You go to LinkSoul.com and they got great summer deals. Go to LinkSoul.com. That's LinkSoul.com. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.